Hey, thanks for checking out the weekly podcast from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. We hope you found this episode to be challenging and encouraging. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's sermon from Pastor Brian Carroll. You know, most new parents recognize that their baby doesn't really come with instructions. I remember visiting a couple one time in the hospital. They'd had a, just had their baby. This was back when you could visit the hospital when, when people were there. Uh, and I remember uh, in the room, it was the maternity ward there and was just kind of sitting there. The, the baby was asleep. And I looked in the little bassinet thing that they have in the room there and there was a little book in the, um, in the, in the door, the, the pocket of this little bassinet. And so I got the book, and it literally was an instruction manual that the hospital had published and put in all the bassinets. And so I thought, well, you know, why didn't we, why didn't we think of this sooner? Um, you know, most parents recognize that, I, don't, I think this is universally true, that there's no tag sewn anywhere on the baby that tells you to tumble dry on low uh, or use a warm iron. That, that doesn't happen anywhere. It, it wasn't all that long ago that you couldn't even Google your kid's particular situation. You know, now it's Dr. Google before it's a phone call to the, to the pediatrician. When that rash popped up on your kid and you weren't sure if it was leprosy or poison ivy, you really didn't know what to do. There was no Google to, to, to diagnose it, no, no WebMD. The, the next best thing to Google was calling your mom and getting her expert advice. And, and even though there are more than enough, more than enough books that have been published today that claim to know everything that you could possibly want to know about taking care of a baby, none of those books are actually dropped off by the stork when the baby finally arrives. You know, when we look at the class of 2021, you'll be disappointed to know that your diplomas don't come with instruction manuals about how to be adults either. Your parents have been winging it for 18 years and you're about to start winging it for the rest of your life. Trust me. Your parents have tried hard to prepare you. Your teachers have worked hard to educate you. Your coaches have worked hard to train you. But at some point in time, it's up to you to figure out the rest. Now, don't get me wrong. You're about to get a lot of literature shoved in your face that's designed to help you stay out of trouble. If you go to college, you're going to be given a catalog and ask anyone who's been to college, that course catalog is, your, is, is the next best thing to the Bible for you for the next four years of your life. Uh, you're going to be given a student handbook, and I would say pay close attention as they will invariably help you stay on track for the next four, five, six years or three for some people. If you go to work, you're going to be given an employee handbook. Again, it's a good guide to make sure that you stay employed. If you go to the military, you're going to be given a drill instructor. And don't worry, he will make sure you do what you are supposed to do. But none of these things are a one-stop shop to adulting. What I can commend to you today, however, is an all-inclusive guide to successful adulthood. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 23 says this, By truth... B-U-I, buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. God has given us a comprehensive instruction manual for success in following Jesus. And I believe this, that if you will pursue success in following the Lord Jesus Christ, you will find that all the other pieces of your life will be all the better. This morning, I want us to continue our journey to unpack the wisdom of Proverbs to see exactly what it might have for the class of 2021. 
as well as how we as the church ought to reflect on this day and days to come. Again, with many of these sermons in Proverbs, we're bouncing around from verse to verse because it's, there's not just a chapter that, that's comprehensive in this regard. So we're covering many verses in Proverbs. But we begin today where I left off with the children. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. The Bible says this, Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. I think if you had to identify a verse in Proverbs that is memorized more than any other, it's probably this verse. I think every young parent at some point in time commits this verse to memory because they're, they're, they're just wondering, thinking about what in the world their life needs to look like in this new relationship of being a parent to a child. This verse is the mantra of Christian parents and Christian schools the world over. And honestly, there's a lot of hope that hangs on this verse. How many parents have got a child that perhaps has gone astray and wonders at what point in time that child will come back to the faith that they were trained in? But what exactly does it mean to train up a child in the way he should go? Well, let's just stop for a moment and consider what does it mean to raise a child? From an economic standpoint, raising a kid is a substantial one. I don't want to discourage anyone from having children, but this next slide may just do that. The United States Department of Agriculture estimates that raising a kid to adulthood is going to cost you somewhere in the neighborhood of $233,000. That does not include college. So children, if you were looking at your parents and asking for more allowance... I submit to you Exhibit 1. You're costing me a quarter million dollars, kid. That's all the allowance you need. I can offer this to you in an hourly rate if it'll make you feel better. And you'll actually find you're getting quite a bargain from an hourly rate. There are approximately 157,280 hours in an 18-year-old's life. That means that raising a kid from birth to age 18 is going to cost you about a buck fifty an hour, which is quite a bargain when you stop and think about it. So again, parents, when they start asking you about allowance, say that they're, they're making a buck fifty an hour. Even when they're sleeping, they're making a buck fifty an hour. Now, let's zero in on that time commitment instead of just the economic cost. 157,680 hours, 6,570 days, 639 weeks in their 18 years of life. Let's break that down some more. About 38% of those hours are spent sleeping. You don't get a lot of investment there. I mean, that's, that's time that you just got to write off, okay? Uh, 38% of that time is spent sleeping. That means that you're left with about 98,000 hours of waking time to work with. You got 98,000 hours of time that they're awake that you have to work with. They're going to spend probably somewhere around 19 to 20,000 hours at school. And that's just academics. That's not extracurricular activities, which means that you as parents are left with this number, 79,000 hours to do with what Proverbs 22.6 is saying, train up a child in the way he should go. 79,000 hours. So think about it this way, no pressure. Everything you do with your child is weighed against that number. You come to church today, that's an hour. 
You go to Sunday school, that's two hours. You come to Wednesday night, that's three hours against 79,000 hours that you have got with your child. Now, again, I think that's three hours very well spent. But again, consider the math. Now, you may be in the midst of a challenging season of parenting, but you need to know that there is a clock that started when they were born with 79,000 hours on it. Today may be a day where you feel like that clock is never going to run out. It may be a time in your life, especially if you were parents of one of these young people standing right here, where you look at their life and you think, I wish I had a few more of those hours left on the clock. How are you going to fill those 79,000 hours to make it count? Proverbs 22.6 says that we'd better make sure that we spend those 79,000 hours training that child in the way that he should go. What does that mean? That word training actually points to a concept of, of dedication, of being dedicated to something. We traditionally do what we call a baby dedication. Once we get through the summer, if you've got a pandemic baby or, or one born shortly before the pandemic, we're, we're going to have a baby dedication later on, uh, later on this summer, early fall. When we dedicate babies, we're making a particular commitment that we're going to raise them in a particular way. We need to dedicate our children not to the pursuit of a career, however, or to the pursuit of fame, or even to the pursuit of family. That's not to say that careers and families are not good things. It's not to say that pursuing uh, even success is a bad thing, but that is not what we dedicate our children to. If you are the parent of a young child, the day is coming soon when they will be standing on a stage with a mortarboard on their head and you will see exactly what you have dedicated them to. More than anything else, our job as parents is to see to it that they are dedicated to Christ above all. Again, that doesn't mean that they don't pursue a lucrative career or strive for a beautiful home and family, but they must first pursue Jesus. Again, no pressure here, right? How do you ensure? How can you make sure that that child that I've got 79,000 hours with, that that, that that child that I've got to invest every minute of those 79,000 hours to make sure that they are trained in the way they should go, how do I ensure that that child is going to follow Jesus? Obviously, we can't guarantee it. Because we understand there's an element of choice in the matter. Children have to choose to follow Jesus. Some children will. Some children will not. How do we make sure we do our very best? I believe this. Parents, the best way to ensure that your child follows Jesus is revolutionary. It's make sure that you follow Jesus. The very best way to make sure that your child pursues a relationship with Christ is to make sure that you are pursuing a relationship with with Christ. If your kid isn't sold out to Jesus, one of the most likely reasons is that mom and or dad isn't sold out to Jesus. If you want children who are passionate for Christ and zealous for the kingdom of God, then be a mom or a dad who is passionate for Jesus and zealous for the kingdom. And so you dedicate your child not by an act of presenting him to, to the church in a baby dedication. You dedicate your child simply by dedicating yourself. And then Proverbs says that when he is old, he will not depart from it. You got about 79,000 hours 
to make it count. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 7 says this. It says, the, the righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. Proverbs understands that there is a cause and effect relationship between parent and child. Now, hear me correctly on this. Don't zone out right here. It is not a one-to-one -one correlation between a parent's faith and a child's faith. There are plenty of examples where parents are absolute stinkers. But their kids turn out to be remarkable men and women for the Lord. Plenty of examples of that. We know people. We can point to people. So understand that, that there are people who are absolute, terrible human beings, but whose kids actually follow Jesus and do, do well in following Christ. But there are also plenty of examples where parents are faithful and obedient to the Lord, and the children grow up to be absolute hellions. And don't say they're mostly pastor's kids, because it's, uh, it's, it's a bigger subgroup than just that. But if you want to make sure that your child has the best chance to grow into mature faith in Jesus, the best chance you're going to give them is to make sure that you are modeling that faith for them. Again, it doesn't mean you have to be perfect. None of us are perfect. If we were all trying to be perfect, we'd all fall on our faces daily because none of us, are, none of us reach that standard. The Bible actually tells us that none of us are righteous. It's only by the righteousness of Jesus that we actually have any standing whatsoever. So if you are trying for perfection, understand that you're going to come up short again and again and again. But successful Christian parents understand some things. It understands that, that when we make mistakes, that we own them. That when we come up short, we own it. It means that if you hurt someone, apologize. Parents, if you've ever lashed out at your child in a way that, you know, deep down inside it probably was out of line, one of the greatest things you can do is go to that child, look them in the eye, and say, I love you, and I'm sorry. Apologizing to your children for your own sin is a great way to show your children that you're not perfect, but there's a Savior who is. It does mean that as you grow in this area, it helps, that you're, it helps your children learn from your mistakes so that they don't repeat those same mistakes. I know I don't want my kids to follow my mistakes and do what I've done. If I can help them not repeat the mistakes that I've made, then that's a, that's a good day for me. You know, I remember as a kid back in the, back in the 80s, there was, a, there was a public service announcement that was on the TV all the time. Some of you may remember this. There was a kid sitting on his bed playing with drumsticks, and his dad comes in. He's got a box, and he shows that box to his kid, and he opens it up, and you can tell it's drug paraphernalia that he's got in the box. And dad says, you know, he's, he's confronting the kid. He's fussing at the kid. He says, where did you learn how to do this? And the kid stops. He looks at his dad, and he says, you know what? I learned it by watching you. Then there's an ominous word that comes after the confrontation that says, Parents who do drugs have children who do drugs. Again, we understand that it's not a one-to-one -one correlation, but we certainly understand the importance of godly parents raising godly children. We understand the importance of having godly churches investing in our children. We need strong families walking together with Jesus. We need strong churches walking together with Jesus, not trying to create a veil of perfection that comes up short all the time, but we need to be mindful of our own hypocrisy. Because you know what? Our kids can sniff it out in a heartbeat. 
And the quickest way to make sure a kid doesn't walk with Jesus when he's 18, 19, 20 years old is to fill his life with hypocrisy when he's 15, 16, 17 years old. Guaranteed. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 15. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. You know, I'm not sure when this word became a thing, but we have now turned the word adult into a verb. And now we have people who are spending their days doing adulting. Adulting. Now, now, to be honest, I'm not sure what the alternative is to adulting. Nobody uh, does something not adult and says, I've been childing today. Uh, But now when you do responsible things, oh, like laundry, it's considered adulting. Nebraska Senator Ben Sass wrote an op-ed for the Wall Street Journal a couple years ago. He said it this way. He says, we all know the noun adult, but I was perplexed last year to hear the new verb to adult. In social media, especially on Twitter and Instagram, it birthed the new hashtag, hashtag adulting, as in just paid this month's bills on time, adulting, or I decided I couldn't watch Netflix for eight hours straight and went to the grocery store instead adulting. It even got a nomination from the American Dialect Society for the most creative word in 2015. Adulting is an ironic way to describe engaging in adult behaviors like paying taxes or doing chores. The sort of mundane tasks that responsibility demands to a growing number of Americans. Acting like a grown-up seems like a kind of role-playing, a mode of behavior requiring humorous detachment. Let me be clear, this isn't an old man's rough about kids these days. I still remember Doc Anderson standing in the street in 1988 yelling at me to slow down as I drove through his neighborhood in our small Nebraska town. I was 16 and I couldn't stand that guy. Years later, when I had children of my own, I returned to thank him. Maturation. What's new today is the drift towards perpetual adolescence. What's new is seeing so much less difference now between 10-year-olds and young adults in their late teens and early 20s. Proverbs understands this and clearly points out the natural state. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. Senator Sass says this, Our nation is in the midst of a collective coming-of-age crisis. Too many of our children simply don't know what an adult is anymore or how to become one. Perhaps more problematic, older generations have forgotten that we need to teach them. It's our fault more than it is theirs. You know, the reality is revealed in very clear statistics. More and more young people are waiting until they're not so young to get married and to start families. It's not because there's a shortage of romantic relationships. I think we all understand it's not that at all. If anything, there's too many uncommitted romantic relationships being pursued. According to the Pew Foundation, 52% of people aged 18 to 29 are currently living at home. 52%. 
That's higher than it was during the Great Depression when the number climbed to 48% and economic reality forced many to have to move home. That number's been climbing since the 60s when it was 29%, of course. Some of this is birthed out of necessity due to the COVID-19 pandemic. That pushed the number even higher, but it was still 47% even before the pandemic. 50% of young adults aged 18 to 29 living under their parents' roof. Now, I'm not suggesting that having an adult child in your home is somehow sinful. For a lot of families, that's actually the responsible decision, particularly if parents and children know that it's not the permanent situation. It's a temporary situation while waiting for a career to take off or perhaps waiting for a wedding or, or even a soft landing after a rough patch. I think we can all agree, however, if it's simply a place where a young adult can take shelter from having to deal with the real world, it's a problem. It's particularly a problem if mom and dad's basement is a place that enables actions of folly that are the natural condition of the immature human heart. We all need to understand this. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. And so it's our responsibility to make sure that we are helping them overcome the folly and stoke the fires of wisdom found only in Jesus Christ. Again, that doesn't mean that we curmudgeonly point judgmental fingers to those who are having a hard time growing up. But it does mean that those of us who are older, what if we took a particular interest in this generation that is in question? Statistics tell us that this generation is AWOL from church. I would argue that they're AWOL because our pattern in church life is that we stick them off in a corner somewhere until we parade them up front to recognize them on the day of their graduation. We make statements like this, they're the future of the church. But then we complain when the church tries to create an environment where they are welcomed and accepted. We hire 25-year-old youth pastors to help tame the folly not that there's a problem with 25-year-old youth pastors, but I would argue that those 25-year-old youth pastors' investment in the life of a teenager is just as important as the investment of a 65-year-old grandparent. Both are important, both are needed, both have value. I walked into my first full-time ministry position when I was 26 years old. I know what I was doing. The church was crazy or desperate or something else, I don't know. They always said they were going to grow their pastor, which I guess they did. I don't know. I can tell you that the singular thing that changed my life was the day I met Bob and Ruth. Bob was 72 years young when I met him. He had pastored longer than I'd been alive. But Bob, at 72 years old, took time to invest in me. He was a sounding board for me. He wasn't afraid to tell me I was wrong, and I was happy to receive it. And I knew Bob, more than anything, was praying for me. I'd been married for four years, had a kid, but I still had folly in my heart. I know I did. And Bob helped me more than anything to tame the folly. I want to ask an important question of all the adults in the room. Can you name one student or 120-something that you were not related to that you know on a personal basis? 
Can you name one student or 20-something that you were not related to that you know on a personal basis? Can you identify one student or young adult that you make it a point to connect with when you gather with your church family? Just one. I think the more of us who answer no to that question, the bigger our problem actually is. In the book of Psalms, we find a lot of wisdom there as well. Psalm 127, verses 4 and 5 say this. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies at that gate. This cycle that we go through, it seems every May it arrives And the reality is this. It's that time again when arrows are about to be set loose from the bow. Parents, you've spent 79,000 hours getting your arrows ready to fly. Now, if if you're an archery person, that's that's a long time to get an arrow ready to go. Uh, 79,000 hours to invest in that arrow, you ought to be able to hit anything you aim at. 79,000 hours you've had to invest in getting your arrows ready. You've sharpened the head. You've honed the shaft. You've prepared the fletching. You've set the knock on the bowstring. All that was easy. The hardest part is to release that bowstring. Because then, there's two things at work. There's your aim... And there's all the external forces that are working on that arrow. There's your aim. What have you done? How have you spent that 79,000 hours? Where have you pointed it? What have you invested? What have you helped that arrow be dedicated to? Your aim really does matter. But then all the external forces, if you've ever shot an arrow, you know that gravity and wind and, and friction and all those things are working against that arrow going where it goes. But a skilled archer can overcome all those forces with a careful aim. It's amazing to me to watch these old movies where they, you know, they line up for medieval warfare and they're using, they're using longbows to, to launch these arrows. And, and you know, if, if you've got an, an army coming at you and all you've got is a bow and an arrow, you don't draw that bow back and aim straight. Matter of fact, a skilled archer takes that bow and aims it to the heavens and he releases it knowing calculating everything that's involved to make sure that that arrow hits its target and it's right on track because that arrow is aimed with the intention of it getting to its target. You've spent 79,000 hours getting your arrows ready to fly, getting them aimed at the target that you have in mind, and then there comes a point in which you release the string. For those parents who are watching this day, Some are dreading it. Some are looking forward to it. But the day's here. The bow is set. It's time to release it. For those who are looking forward to the day, not in an, I can't wait, but who are still anticipating the day to come, I can say this. Count your hours and make sure your hours actually count. Would you pray with me, please? God, I thank you for the wisdom of your word. I pray, God, that you would help us as 
your church as your people to invest in what counts, that we would understand that these young people are not just the future of the church in some distant land, they are the church today. Their lives, their worship, their input, it matters today. And so maybe we be a people who recognizes that, that, that we see the statistics, that when these young people turn 18 and they get out from under our roofs, how many drift away from the faith. And so, Lord, would we make a commitment to ourselves and to you today that we would identify teenagers and young adults and that we would invest intentionally and purposely in their lives. That we would let them see our weaknesses, that we would apologize when we have made mistakes, that we would be transparent in their lives, but most of all, that we would point each one to the Lord Jesus Christ. If we have trained our kids to look to people in the church, if we've trained our kids to look to celebrities, if we've trained our kids to look to popular preachers on TV, we're going to be disappointed. Instead, our goal, our, our, our purpose, our plan should always be to train our kids to look to Jesus. Because even when pastors and deacons and Sunday school teachers, indeed, even when parents fail and let us down, there is one who is greater, who is wiser, who is more loving, and who is perfect in all his ways, to which our kids should turn. May we dedicate their lives to Jesus by dedicating our lives to Jesus. 79,000 hours. Lord, would we make each one count? We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like more information about Chattanooga Valley Baptist, check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org. If you would like to join in person, we worship every Sunday morning at 1045. We're just minutes from downtown Chattanooga. We hope to see you soon.